It's simply this. What you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. And I know you heard that phrase before, right? Raise your hand if you heard the, the phrase, what you see is what you get. Usually, you get that from people who, are, who say they're brutally honest, right? But they're just kind of rude. They're like, what you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. There's nothing else. This is it. I am honest. But what they really mean is I'm kind of rude, right? That's usually what you get it from. But today we're going to look at it through a different lens. All right, we're going to read a little bit of the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, if you want to follow along. If not, we'll have it in the screens. And then we'll pray and dive into this message. Sound good? 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 Remember, I love the talk back. I like that conversation we have, okay? So let's read Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 4 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod and the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you because we are confident that you are in this place. Because where two or more are gathered, you are there. And if you are here, anything is possible. We ask now that you give us the faith to believe your word, to apply it, to run with it, and to let us transform us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So let's set the scene, okay? Many of us are familiar with the Christmas story, right? Jesus is announced to be born hundreds of years before. He is finally being born. There is no space for Mary and Joseph, right? So they have to go to a manger, and they are going to have baby Jesus in this manger. They have baby Jesus Magis or wise men see a star announce this birth, and so they choose to follow the star. They go to the first person who should be aware of what's happening in this country, and that is the king of that country. So they go to King Herod. We're going to call him King H for the rest of the preach, okay? So they go to King H, and they go, hey, man, so I just saw a tweet that said that Jesus is born but they didn't put the location. Can you send us the location so that we can go see him? And then he's like, uh, what? What do you mean? He, yeah, uh, he's born. Didn't you get the, the tweet, the message? Everybody got the message. It was an Instagram post. Mary was like, oh, Jesus, and the lamb in the background. It was cute. You should have seen it. Got like a thousand likes, right? Which was a lot for the back then because the Wi-Fi was really slow. It's okay. It's okay. We'll, we'll warm up to it. We'll warm up to it. But so he gets this news and he becomes troubled, which is very puzzling because we always say Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Right? So you're like, wait a minute. If he got to hear about Jesus' birth, then he should have been excited. He should have been happy. But let me tell you something that happens quite often. Is that while you and I can look at the same thing, we can see different things. You know, the Christmas season is very interesting. It's my favorite holiday ever. And I am, like, committed to the real Christmas schedule. I know some of you don't understand the real Christmas schedule, but it's the ICCD. It's the International Chris Calendar, right? This is what it means. Department, in case you're wondering what the D stands for. So the Christmas schedule, the real Christmas schedule, everybody knows starts when? November 1st. Christmas starts November 1st. 
If you didn't know that, today the Lord is giving you revelation. Christmas starts November 1st. Yeah, yeah. But what happens? After November 1st, you start Christmas, right? You got carols going. You got the extra weight gain because that's God's weight gain. It's allowed. Calories don't count during the holidays. Amen? So Christmas, November 1st, and then you take a timeout, a PTO, for Thanksgiving, right? 24, 25 that weekend. That's a PTO for Thanksgiving. And then we continue with Christmas, right? And so I love the two months of Christmas. I look at the tree and I get excited. I get the 60 degrees in Miami and I get excited. I bring all the coats, all the boots, whatever I can take advantage of, I'm going to do it. I get excited. The hot cocoa, the coffee, you name it, I'm excited for Christmas. But can I tell you that while I may be excited for Christmas, for many people, Christmas is the hardest, toughest, most painful season. We're looking at the same thing, but we see two different things. So while I see joy, family, calories, and food, they might see loneliness, pain, anxiety, stress, depression. Is it the holiday or is it me? It's what I see. So today we're going to dive into three different point of views of three different personalities that see the birth of Jesus and yet draw drastically different conclusions. The first one is Herod. Herod sees the birth of Jesus, and you know what he sees? A threat. And you might say, huh? Yeah, the Bible mentions that he was troubled. And so when you see these words in the Bible, you should ask yourself, why would he be troubled? Well, the prophecy of the Messiah, of the newborn, was that he was going to be king. So you know what Herod sees when he sees Jesus? Somebody coming for his position. Somebody coming to take his place. And the thing is that Jesus' kingdom, according to prophecy, knows no end. So Herod was like, I may have 40, 50 years of kingship. If this is the true Messiah, he might reign forever. There is no hope for me. Because if he is the true Messiah, his kingdom will reign supreme. And so he goes and he starts inquiring of the scribes. He's like, hey, when, where is he going to be born? Because we need to figure out all these things. And so he makes it seem like he's interested in knowing to go visit him. But he's interested in knowing to go see his enemy. So you can look at Jesus, know the prophecy, and see it as a threat. Israel had been waiting for this Messiah for hundreds of years. We have hundreds of years passed between Malachi and Matthew. It's finally here. He should be ecstatic. He should be excited. But he says, uh-oh, he's coming for my job. Instead of getting excited that there's a kingdom now coming that will know no end, that Jerusalem finally has his savior, he sees a threat. And let me tell you something. Jesus is a threat to anybody who is trying to establish their own kingdom. You guys mentioned this right now. You guys were singing this right now. He has no rival. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's almighty. So anybody who wants to establish his own kingdom should feel threatened when they see Jesus. Because I got to tell you something. God can do all things except one. Before you start screaming, false prophet, well, give me a second, let me finish. Harris, you know, relax, I'm going to finish. There's one thing God can do, and that is loose. 
God does not lose. So if you are thinking, who's going to win, Herod or Christ? Christ. And if you weren't sure, trust me, I read Revelation, he won. So that is why he's threatened. He's like, oh, he's going to take my job. He's going to take everything I've built. You know, there's a lot of us that act like that when we talk about Jesus. We read, you know, follow me and you got to take up your cross and deny yourself. And we think, no, 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 because I built it all. Not I'm going to lose it all. No, no. Jesus is a threat to anybody trying to build their own kingdom. And it's tough. Because sometimes we think we're doing it right until we're challenged by the way he does things. His kingdom runs by his rules. And his rules are drastically different than ours. Our rules are vanquish the enemy. His are love your enemies and pray for them. Our rules are, you know, the best is first. And his is like, no, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. You want to be the leader of all? You got to serve everybody. Not have the most talent, not have the most gifting. Serve everybody. It's a drastic, different kingdom. And so it's really hard for us to grasp that lifestyle unless we come to him first. But you can come to him and still not see what you should see. Herod knew the prophecy. He knew that this was supposed to be the greatest moment in Israel's history. And he saw it as a threat. So much so that the Bible tells us that look at this. It says in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that, that he had been tricked by the wise men, because the wise men hear about, see Jesus, come to Jesus, and then they go the opposite direction, right? Because an angel tells them, don't go to Herod again, go in the opposite direction. Look at this. It says, when he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and all in that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had been ascertained from that wise man. He was like, I am not taking any risks. I don't know which one's the Christ, so I'm going to eliminate all of them. That's how drastic we are sometimes when we're threatened. And he knew he had so much to lose. And let me tell you what happens with Herod. He dies. Let me tell you what happens with Jesus eventually. He dies. But let me tell you the difference. Jesus rose. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes on your behalf. And he is, in fact, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So you can be threatened by Jesus, but let me warn you, you will lose. That's the first person. He sees the newborn and he sees a threat. There's a new group, which is the one we just mentioned, which is the Magi, the wise man. They see the star. They finally see Jesus and you know what they see? They see somebody worthy of worship. We read that they come to Jesus and they bring him gifts. Frankincense, myrrh, gold. And one day maybe we'll talk about how prophetic those gifts are and what they symbolize. But the fact is they come to Jesus and they give him gifts. They give him worship. You know, during this season... It's when we tend to have more people come to church because they understand that Christ Jesus is truly the reason for the season. So they'll come in, they'll fill the pews, they'll fill the chairs, and they'll receive and they'll come and they'll give their offering, they'll give their, their gifting, and they'll celebrate Jesus, right? 
whether it's Nochebuena, whether it's a candlelight service, you name it, we will have people who normally don't come to church because they see that during this season there's a star shining and they want to go visit it and worship. And that's nothing wrong with that. The thing is, Jesus is more than just somebody worthy of worship. Jesus is somebody more than just worthy of gifts. Jesus is somebody more than just worthy of my time. Because a lot of times we say, well, I'm here. I recognize that Jesus is worthy of worship. That's why I lift my hands when I sing. And that's awesome. I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad. But I'm saying that there's more than that. Because you know what happens with the Magi? The Magi give the gifts, right? They, they went to Herod. They traveled a lot. They followed the star. They did a lot of work. It was a lot of effort, a lot of time investment. And so they go and do everything right. They give the gifts. And the Bible says, then they go back home. Then they go back home. We never hear from them again. A lot of people come in, come in, come in, receive, give. And then they go back home. There's nothing wrong. It's not that they were wrong. It's better than Herod, I'll tell you that. They didn't try to kill him. They gave him gifts. But it's not everything. It's not everything. And so you might say, okay, at least I'm not Herod. You know, I, gave, I give God my gold, my myrrh, my frankincense. I give him my time. So what am I really supposed to do? What am I supposed to look at when I see Jesus? Well, I don't need to answer that for you because the word explains it. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 11 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So what are we supposed to see when we see Jesus? We're not supposed to see a baby. People still celebrate, celebrate baby Jesus. Right? We're not supposed to see some innocent toddler who didn't have a home. We're not supposed to see the sheep and the lamb and, and, and the shepherds and the magi and even, not even the angels. We're supposed to see a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And let me tell you, when you see that, it drastically changes everything. Because the first thing, if you see a Savior, the first question should be, what do I need saving from? Why would I need a Savior? I'm good. But the second question is, what do I need saving for? If I need a Savior, then that means I must be in trouble. See, Jesus is not just somebody who came to be worshipped. He is worthy of worship. But he didn't just come for that. He came to save. He came to save. He came to save the lost, the blind, the sick, the lonely, the lowly. He came to save. The, literally, the name of Jesus literally means Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. When we look at Jesus, we see our salvation. 
But you know what else we see? Christ the Lord. And that's a whole different level of revelation. Because if you see Christ, you see the Messiah. Right? In case you were wondering, Jesus' middle name or last name is not Christ. Right? It's not Jesus Christ. Right? It's not, that's not his last name. That's a title. It means the anointed, the Messiah. Right? And so who was the Messiah? The Messiah was somebody the prophecy had announced that would come to deliver the people of Israel. Right? They would come to save the people of Israel from all their troubles. And they would have this kingdom that would know no end. And they would be powerful. They would come from the line of David. That's what it says, from the city of David. Right? They would come from the line of David. Right? And they would be a king. A powerful king. The issue is when people read the prophecies, they read them the way you and I would normally read them. Because if I'm thinking of a king, I'm thinking of somebody who's strong, mighty, powerful, man of war. Why? Because the people of Israel during that time were oppressed by the Roman Empire. So they were waiting for a deliverer who was a military man. They were waiting for somebody who would come and fight for them and set them free once and for all from all kinds of captivity. But what they get is a baby boy. And this is the thing about God that frustrates us, doesn't it? Because you rarely get what you expect from God. I'm being serious, right? Because you, you expect it a certain way, and he rarely does it the way you expected it. He always does more than you expected. He always does better than you expected, but he rarely does it the way you thought he would. Because let's be honest, it makes more sense if, if, if God is sending a deliverer to just send him an adult. Why not just send a grown man already? Another Samson, you know, another big guy, buff, obvious. This guy's ready to fight. Why can't he just send Samson 2.0? Right? Why can't he send someone that knows how to do this? He sends a baby. And this is indicative of what God does things. Because with God, all things are in his timing. And when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus fulfills so many prophecies. It's impossible that any other human could fulfill all the prophecies Jesus fulfills. Not, not, I'm talking about 33 years old. I'm talking about newborn Jesus. His birth fulfills so many prophecies. Is God showing us this is who the Bible has been pointing to all along. And then when you see Christ the Lord, everything in your life changes. Why? Because if he is Lord, then I'm not. If he is Lord, then he says how things go. He commands and I follow. He doesn't have to bend to my will. I have to submit to his. He doesn't have to do things the way I want them. I have to do things the way he wants me to. But you know what's also good about that? Because that part might be tough. Obedience is hard. Obedience is really hard. But the good thing is that if he is Lord and I'm on his team and he's never lost, you know what that means for me? That I am victorious too. That I am more than conqueror too. Because if he won and I'm on that team, then I'm winning too. The Bible says that he makes me co-heirs with him. I'm co-heirs with Christ. I benefit of all the privileges that Christ has if I am associated with him. 
I have VIP access to heaven. Because when the Bible says the veil torn, it's symbolic. Because what? The veil used to separate the holy of holies, right, in the tabernacle from where the regular priest should be. It was the most intimate spot where only one, the high priest, could, could, could go to. But now when the veil tears, it means that everybody has access through Christ. So if I'm associated with Christ as he's my Lord, then now I have access to the Father in ways I never had before. I have access to blessing and provision in ways I never had before. But that's why it matters how you see Jesus. Because many of us don't see Jesus as who he really is. Because if we did, our prayers would change. Our fears would crumble. Our doubt, our insecurities, our anxiety would have to yield because, sorry, there's no space for you because now somebody else runs this. He is Lord. There's no space for you to run me anymore because he is Lord. He is in charge. He's in control. I can't let you be part of this because now he is here. It's good news. That's why he angel says this is good news for everybody. But if it's good news for everybody, how come not everybody sees it that way? Because they see something different. The question for you and I today is, what are we going to see when we see Jesus this season? Are we going to keep seeing a baby? Are we going to keep seeing the Christmas carols? Are we going to keep seeing the feelings? Or are we going to finally see Christ the Lord? Because if we're going to see Christ the Lord, then let me tell you, you're going to come out of here a lot different. You're going to say, Lord, I am excited for all that you have in store because you are my Lord. And where you lead, I follow. And let me tell you, though, he usually leads you down a path of righteousness. He leads you down a path of greatness. That's what the Lord does. That's who he is. He says, I have good plans in store for you. So what do you see? What do I see? And maybe today you're still having a hard time to see all that Jesus was and is and will be. Because that's what happened in that story. If we're being honest, Jesus is born. We get that about two years of most is what we see of Jesus. Then we don't hear about him for another 10 years until he's like teaching teachers of the law, right, at the age of 12. And then we don't hear again until he's 33. 30 years old, if you want to be exact. You know, but around that 33-year age where he starts his ministry. And then, that's a big gap. So if you're really looking for those key points, you're like, oh, I, I see a, a baby. I see a teacher of teachers. And then I finally see a miracle maker, promise keeper, the, the light, the salt, the almighty provider. The prophet, the word became flesh. Once I have to wait this long to finally see who he was, who he was prophesied to be, it takes a while sometimes. Because maybe you've been coming to church and you're still having a hard time seeing it. You're still at the level of, I worship Jesus. Because that's how many of us first come. We say, you know what, Lord, I recognize you are worthy of worship. So I surrender my worship to you. But there's another level to escalate. And that's when, Lord, you are my Lord. He is King of kings and he is Lord of lords. That is not up to debate. That is not up to debate. The darkness has to yield at the name of Jesus. That is not up to debate. 
His name is above every other name. That is not up to debate. But the way I see him determines what I get from him. What you see is what you get. You want a threat, you're going to get a threat. Jesus is king of kings. You want someone worthy to worship? Trust me, he is worthy to worship. He's done so many good things. But there's a lot of people worthy of worship. Not at the level of Jesus, but there's people worthy of worship. Today, don't don't tell me the score. I don't want to know. But today, there's going to be a whole nation celebrating 11 players worthy of worship for bringing a trophy to their nation. Please don't tell me the score. I'll go watch it when I get home. But there is going to be 11 players worthy of worship for doing something great for their team, for their nation. So there's a lot of reasons to worship somebody. But to make somebody your Lord, to recognize somebody as your Savior, when you see that, when you make that decision, you have access to things you didn't know you had. The Bible unlocks itself in another level of revelation. Because now you say, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Now you say, all the riches according to Christ, Philippians 4, right? Now you say, in him is the fulfillment of every promise. In him is yes and amen. He is my peace, the prince of peace. He is my king. He is my shepherd. He's my strength, my fortress, my shield. He's my shalom, my ultimate peace, that full peace. When you see him for who he is, and maybe you say, okay, what else should I see? Isaiah 9, 6 breaks it down for us. We're going to put it on the screen as well. It says, for unto us a child is born. To us... A son is given, and the government shall shall be upon his shoulders. See, government shall be upon his shoulders. He is going to be Lord. He is going to be king. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What should you see when you see Jesus? You see the ruler, but you see a counselor. You see a mighty God, but an everlasting father. You see a prince of peace. And that's everything he can be to you if you receive him. If you receive him. Because see... Unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The question is, was he given? The question is, should I receive him? Will I receive him? Because a lot of times, it's not that we didn't get the gift. It's that we didn't receive it. Jesus has been given to us. He was given for us. Will we receive him? This holiday season, will we receive them? As we step into this new year, will we receive them? As we dive into all the things that God has for us, will we receive them? Because you know what happens with Jesus? And this is what happens with God. When you finally start understanding something about God, 
Yeah, oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. Boom. It gets bigger. It gets bigger. And then you're like, I thought I knew, and now I know nothing again. Because there's always more with God. There's always more with Jesus. Maybe you met Jesus as the healer because you were sick and he healed you. Maybe you met Jesus as the provider because you were lacking and he gave. Maybe you met Jesus as the one who forgave your sins and that's awesome. But now you're going to meet him as the conqueror, as the one who fights on your behalf, as the one who gives you victory, as the one who's giving you access to the Father. There is new levels to see Jesus because what you see from Jesus is what you're going to get from Jesus. So don't limit your sight. Say, Lord, open my eyes to see you in a new light. When I dive into your scripture, when I dive into prayer, when I come to service, I want to see you more. More. I want my view to be amplified of you. Because the more I see of you, the more I am transformed. And the more I am transformed, the more you can do in me and through me. So what are we going to see? I use contacts. I use contacts. So my sight is limited by contacts. If I don't have the contacts, all you guys look like blurry trees. And I, and I tried the whole, you know, Jesus with the saliva. It didn't work, trust me. It didn't work. I, I, you guys will all look like blurry trees. So what I need is I need to go to a professional to get my eyes checked. Then they give me a prescription. And then once I put the prescription, I see, I see your beautiful pink shirt over there, brother. Because they gave me what I needed. Today, you're in the presence of the Lord. Ask him for the prescription. Lord, what do I need to see today from you? Not what do I already see. Because Herod could have saw a threat, but he could have chosen to see a blessing. The Magi saw somebody worthy of worship, but they could have seen somebody worthy of surrender. Hey, I'm here with you now. I'm not leaving. What do you want from me? What do you want me to see today, Lord? And I guarantee you that as he starts changing your prescription in faith, you're going to start seeing things bigger. Your prayers are going to get bolder. Your conviction, your certainty of what God is doing, it's going to be more clear. There's going to be a peace in you saying, Lord, I don't see it yet, but I know it's coming. I know you're working. And sometimes I'm waiting for that 33-year-old man, but you're going to come as a baby, and it's okay because I'm going to be patient because I see it, Lord. I see it. I see it. I see it. So my question to you is, what do you see? And if it's still too small, say, Lord, amplify my vision. I want to see more. Because what I'm seeing is going to limit what I get. I don't just need a baby Jesus. I need an almighty Savior. So what I need to see is what happens in Calvary. Because that changes everything. Now I don't just see the frankincense, the mirror, and the gold. I see an empty tomb. And if you rose, so will I. So what do you see this season? What are you going to see this new year? 
What are you believing for? What are you trusting the Lord for? Say, Lord, I want the clear view to see it. I don't know how long it's going to take, Lord, but I want the clear view to see it. And I'm going to keep praising you and showing up and committing and serving and doing everything you want me to do because I see it. I see it. I see it. I see it. And I'm certain that if you showed it, you'll do it. Is there somebody here today that is saying, Lord, I'm believing for great things? Is there somebody who's willing to take that leap of faith? You're going to notice that if, if I ever get invited again, I'd like to take physical steps. Because I believe that we are telling our body what our soul already believes to be true. So I want, if that is you today, to get to your feet. And we're going to do this. We're going to get our hands. And we're going to put our, on our eyes. And we're going to say, Lord, Lord, amplify my vision. To see things how you see them. To see things from your vantage point. I know that you are bigger, you're greater, you're stronger than I am. So if I saw things from your point of view, it would all make sense. It would be bigger, it would be better. It would be worth the wait. Help me to see beyond the circumstance. Help me to see beyond the limitation. Help me to see beyond my weakness my pain and to see all that you're doing I know it shall come to pass in Jesus name I see it in Jesus name I see it in Jesus name I see it I see it today Lord and I give you thanks beforehand for what you're doing